Um, first off, I want to thank all of you guys for um, um, those that, that knew I was preaching today um, for not going skiing or hiking or something else. Um, and those that didn't, um, thank you for being here. Um, today's message um, is going to be a little more PG than the last one. So um, I, it doesn't make it any easier for me to prepare or to, to feel any less inadequate when I come before you with the words. Now, during this awkward meet and greet, I learned something today that I really didn't know before. And um, it's something that you all should uh, um, take care of after church if you didn't know. Today is Miss Amy's birthday and she needs happy birthdays after church. <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Um, so as I was doing my studying and my preparing, um, it's only four verses. Um, Bridget's like, is it going to last longer than 15 minutes? And maybe, maybe not. Um, I'll talk slow and talk about other things um, just to, to help it last. But um, to prove that God has a sense of humor and God has our timing at his best heart, um, I, was, I saw a person tell a joke, and I'm not going to remember who it was um, or where I heard it, but um, it fit with this section really clearly. So it's kind of a dad joke, but um, Audrey laughed, so I think I'm okay. So a Jewish man goes to his rabbi, and he says, Rabbi, what do I do? My son has just left home and become a Christian. The rabbi replied, rather stunned, my son has also left home and become a Christian. We should ask God and see what we should do. So they prayed and said, Father, our sons have become Christians. What should we do? God answered back, boys, have I got a story for you. This is just to prove that, that a lot of things are out of control in our lives. Um, also, that God lines up things on purpose for us. Start by praying for us right now. Lord, I just uh, ask your guidance this morning. Lord, I pray that uh, everyone here would have their hearts broken for the lost. Lord, that they would be open to your teachings and your leadings. Lord, that you would use me as an instrument. God, I pray for anybody here today that doesn't know your saving grace. Lord, that uh, today would be that day. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. So, to start this out, I think that a good place for us to start is, who's Paul? Where did he come from? Why is he even talking to us? Most of us know the account of Paul's miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus. 
in Acts 9. Um, hey, I got it pinned. <laughs> we see that um, we see that uh, Paul is a persecutor of the early church. He was on his way to Damascus for the purpose of arresting other Christians and bringing them back to Jerusalem for prosecution. Jesus stopped him, called him out, shone a light on him, made him blind, and led him into Damascus to speak with Ananias. Now, Christ was seeking out Paul. He was working on him. He was preparing his heart, his mind, and everything for this journey. And while he was doing this, he was also preparing Ananias. You see, Ananias was afraid. Ananias was scared that Paul was coming just to arrest him, to persecute him, to be that person who would cast the first stone. But Christ reassured Ananias that it was in his plan for him to be the one to minister to Paul. So we have this cool thing happening. God's working in one man's life who's, who's sinning and doing all this bad, and he's working in another man's life at the same time preparing him to help. Now, he does that for all of us. We may not see it that way. We may not think about it. But God is preparing my heart at the same time he's preparing all of you. At the same time, he's preparing the person that we're meant to talk to. Now, we need to back up a little bit and start with, let's start with Paul as a baby. He was born to a Jewish family in Tarsus. Now, his family moved there from Galilee because they were of the tribe of Benjamin. He was named Saul. Why was he named Saul? Who's the most prominent Benjamite that was named Saul? King Saul. Now, in and of a name, we think about our names. We don't hear the name Saul very often anymore because we know the end of Saul's story. We don't hear people named Ahab or Jezebel. Um, but the reason for that is his names carry weight. And so being named after King Saul, he is given this opportunity um, because his family is prominent that he can um, move into this um, rabbi training. Now I'm going to oversimplify rabbi training here in a minute because I'm kind of a simple dude and I get simple things. Um, now, Paul, he's also a Roman citizen. We find that out, and the importance of his Roman citizenship is that he uses it when necessary to keep himself out of trouble, to allow him to minister to other people and for the glory of God. Now, Roman citizenship in this time afforded him some rights not too dissimilar to being a citizen of the United States. We get treated differently when we're in other places. 
Paul obviously was treated differently because of his Roman citizenship. Now, early Christian tradition says that Paul's parents were most likely prisoners of war, enslaved to a Roman citizen, and then freed by that Roman citizen and granted their citizenship with Rome. So Paul was born into his citizenship. He didn't earn it. He didn't um, buy it. It was just his and just there. Now Paul's training in Acts 22.3. If I can find that real quick. I am a Jew born in Tarsus, but brought up to this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, and I'm going to say that wrong and butcher it every time, according to the strict manner of the law of the fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you were to this day. This is saying that Paul was brought up in the way that was of the tradition of the ancients. He was um, someone who understood his history, understood the history of Israel, and really revolved around that his whole life. Now, Gamaliel, again said wrong, (laughs) probably a different way than a sign. Who is this guy? Well, he is one of the 13 great rabbis whose death marked the decline of, of Judaism. He was an old school guy. He believed the letter of the law and he preached the letter of the law. But after his death, there weren't so many people quite as zealous about the law. So Judaism kind of fell after that time. Now, according to the Mishnah or the oral training to be a rabbi or a Pharisee later, This is the order of what that is. At five years old, one is fit for the scripture, meaning that they would start to hear and learn and memorize it. And then at 10 years old, they were fit for the Mishnah or a formal training starting. At 13, to fulfill the commandments. At 15, for the Talmud, which is similar to an apprenticeship. At 18, ready for the bride chamber. I have no idea what that means. I looked it up and couldn't find it, so I'm going to pass on that right now. But at 20, they were ready to pursue a calling. Um, Whether that calling be pharisaical or whatever. And then at 30, they were ready for authority. You see, Paul was born sometime in the first decade of the first century, and his conversion took part around 35 AD. So that puts him in the 25 to 30 age range. In Philippians 3, 4 through 7, let's turn there real quick. I have post-it notes, so I get there faster, but uh, I'll give you all a second. It's Philippians 3, we'll start in verse 4. Though I myself 
have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. All of this is to say that Paul was well-trained in all of the Jewish laws. And he wasn't just some run-of-the-mill Jew. His time and his training would have given him a love for those people around him. Not unlike a person being a fanatic of a college they went to or for a town that they grew up in. So let's get to our text today, back in Romans 10. And I went ahead and moved my bookmark. So reverse one here. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for God is for them that they may be saved. We need to break down the who. Brothers, who is this that Paul is talking to? Well, when he says brothers, he's giving a familial um, relationship. These are Christians that share in the saving knowledge of Christ. And then he talks about some pronouns. He says them and they. And with the way that pronouns work, we have to look back to a little bit to see who it is that he's talking about. Well, he's talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking about the people. Um, and at the end of uh, chapter 9, he writes that only a remnant would be saved. But yet he still prays and his heart still breaks for these people. This is an example to all of us that we should be praying, we should be evangelizing to, and we should be ministering to, to all that we come in contact with. And those that we may not know, we should be ministering to them as well. Even though they may or may not ever accept the saving grace of Christ. We still have a duty to pray for them. We still have a duty to evangelize to them. It is not our concern with whether or not they're going to be saved. It is our concern to do our job into leading them that way. So I want you to take a few moments and I want you to think. Who in your life have you given up on? that they might never come to the saving grace of the cross. Now I want you to put a name to that. Name that person in your heart, in your mind. 
And that's how you can pray. You can pray for that person directly. Even though the circumstance, even though whatever it is takes you to believe that they may or may not ever know Christ. But it's your job to pray that they might. It's your time to minister to them. I'm going to move on to verse 2. For I bear them witness that they all have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. With Paul's background, he has a firsthand account of their zeal for God because he was the same way. His and their zeal for God was not in God's relationship to them, but in their relationship to God. What they could do, how they could do it. And it was all through the law, not through faith. Now, Merriam-Webster's definition of zeal is eagerness and an ardent interest in pursuit of something. By this definition, there can be both bad and good forms of zeal. Take Tara, for instance. She has a zeal for the Wildcats of the University of Arizona. Now, growing up in and around Tempe, we always root for Arizona State University Sun Devils. So I would call hers a bad zeal. We can also have a good zeal for a, or we can also have a zeal for a good thing in a bad way. You see, bacon is a good thing. In fact, I would say that it is a very good thing. But if I were to only eat bacon at every meal and use bacon-scented soap and bacon-scented deodorant and bacon-flavored toothpaste, and bacon-flavored chapstick, that might be a little bit too much of a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) My wife has bought me bacon-flavored toothpaste and (laughs) bacon-flavored chapstick before, so Um, I shared it. You see, this is, this zeal that the... um, the Israelites that Paul had for God was just a thinly veiled attempt to find justification through works in the law. Let's go back to Acts 26 real quick. Let's start in verse 9. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing to the name of Jesus in Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues 
and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul's zeal was to keep God contained in the law. Paul's zeal wasn't for evangelizing before. And with that, we see that uh, zeal can have some bad connotations. Now, back to Romans 10.3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and the seeking and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. This is a time where I feel like the English language is lacking. Um, the English language is not near as um, descriptive as what the Hebrew, the Greek, the other languages can be. For we have this term here, being ignorant. It's translated from one word. And I'm going to try it because I phonetically spelled it out. Agnoeo. And which that is, is it's to ignore through disinclination. Meaning they purposefully looked for reasons to ignore. They were ignorant of their own account. The Jews had every bit of knowledge given to them through the scriptures. And by all accounts, they committed it to memory better than any of us. But they willfully ignored the signs of Christ. And the word righteousness here is translated from another word, Deca yus une, probably wrong, but close enough, which is a verb. And for those of us who are um, removed from uh, English class a long time, a verb is an action word. And this word, this action word of righteousness means being the act of justification. So the Jews chose to ignore God being their act of justification. Spurgeon says it this way. They were so proud that they will not submit to being saved by the righteousness of another, even though that other is Jesus Christ himself. Their pride was in their ability to justify their own sin. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is kind of a cool word here, the end of the law. It literally means Christ fulfilled the law that man couldn't. For the act of justification to everyone that believes. Paul is saying that there will be some who won't hear 
that it says, and let's go to 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and extort. exhort. What with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As far as, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. That's a direct accusation to us. That we should not put up with teaching from this pulpit that might just be nice words, that might reinforce the things that we're already doing. Chris, myself, any of the other elders that step up here, should step on your toes once in a while. You should feel it. And if we haven't stepped on your toes yet, just wait, we'll get to you. We also need to continue to pray for people. Pray. Pray that we are longing for for them that they are longing for us you see God has given us an opportunity he's given us a stand to understand his righteousness understand the justification that he put forth Lord Jesus, I just pray this morning that uh, each of us, God, would pray for those that we know are lost. Lord, that we would continue to shine in a way that is only for you. Lord, I pray that uh, those that we have given up on, Lord, that you would give us a renewed fervor to bring those, uh, those names to you, that we would always be praying for them and ministering to them. In your name, Lord Jesus. We have this,